When it comes to cybersecurity, reacting to a threat isn't always enough. You have to get ahead and stay ahead of the escalating risks. My name is Sid Yenamandra, and I'll be your host for Unencrypted Truth, a podcast powered by Entrada, the leading provider of comprehensive cybersecurity compliance software tools designed specifically for wealth managers and other regulated industries. All season, I'll be interviewing business professionals about what's keeping them up at night and how they're successfully mitigating the looming vulnerabilities that may exist within their firms, whether it's ransomware or cybersecurity compliance. We'll uncover the role cybersecurity education and training plays in preparing an organization for a cyber threat and help clarify the differences between preventative cybersecurity versus cyber insurance. There's a lot of truths to share, so let's unencrypt it together and dive right in. Super excited today to introduce Ishan Gidar, who is the CEO of Priva. They're a cutting-edge software company focused in supply chain risk management. Ishan, welcome. Thanks, Sid. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. So today, we're going to be talking about the risks of supply chain management and what firms have to sort of go through in order to vet all of the vendors that they do work with. Given the pandemic, ransomware attacks have gone up 350%. At the same time, we saw some of the largest breaches that organizations have faced uh, from their supply chains, from vendors that they work with. We saw SolarWinds, which was a, a massive breach. We saw issues with firms like Kaseya. I think this is a topic that's front and center and on the minds of most CISOs and head of risk and procurement teams. So a super exciting time to be sort of talking a little bit about, first off, what Priva does, and then maybe we can talk in general about supply chain risk. Take it away, Isha. I think you named two really big ones with Kaseya and SolarWinds, but then you even have the likes of Microsoft, right? A vendor that pretty much everybody in the world uses. You know, those are the ones that just keep everybody on their toes from, we often get the question, who are we dealing with? Who's our stakeholder at, at our clients? You know, generally we fall somewhere between like the CIO, the CISO, chief information security officer, chief technology officer, but third-party risk has actually now started touching the compliance departments as well. I mean, obviously data is flowing downstream at a rate that we've never seen before. More companies are using third-party vendors really to make their businesses more efficient. And so as that's just expanding, we're just seeing a much greater risk from a cybersecurity perspective. Technology, we kind of say, is a double-edged sword. It's, it is definitely going to make your business more efficient, more profitable, and easier. But along with that comes cyber privacy risks that companies are having to manage more and more. And, and that's ultimately what we're trying to help our clients succeed in. No, that's great. So, Ishan, if we sort of take a step back, what's all the ruckus around supply chain risk? Why now? Has this always been an issue? Has COVID made things worse? Is it these big breaches that we talked about with SolarWinds and Kaseya that's kind of brought this whole thing into focus? But why now? Why is this topic so relevant? No, I mean, I think it goes back. I mean, the old the old Target breach is kind of when everybody woke up. When Target got hacked through their HVAC system, all of a sudden people said, well, my HVAC system was the way that they got into their POS system. Like that's when everybody started waking up. Nobody really cared too much. It, it hit the headline. They thought about it for a few days and then it kind of got swept under the rug. 
One of the things that we've always seen in third-party risk is first, people always focus around the data within their own four walls. How are they going to protect that? Yeah. Then they wake up and say, okay, well, I've spent my budget. Now what? And then they realize that they have 200 vendors that have access to all of that sensitive information. So I think Target's what really brought third-party risk management to the forefront. Then COVID accelerated it. COVID really took it to the next level. All of a sudden, you had all these people working from home, accessing information. People had to implement a whole new set of products and tools to drive efficiency as they're working from home. We actually saw about a 200% increase in utilization of our product last March. And I think that's where we're going to continue to see. And then you just nailed it. It's headline breaches. You know, I always say like, all of a sudden, people with much higher pay grades than us are reading the front page of the Wall Street Journal and seeing that Microsoft had a breach that impacted thousands and thousands of companies, SolarWinds. And so now they have to ask the question, how did this impact us? And then how, who else has our data and where could that have been impacted? We found a lot of organizations doing vendor risk management, VRM or TPRM, third-party risk management. And a lot of them use... Excel spreadsheets, or they use some sort of a survey tool to to send out a questionnaire to their vendors. Is that just good enough? You just print out a set of questions. Hey, are you? Do you have a cybersecurity policy? Do you have a set of things? And just send that out. What's the big deal? Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, we 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 often get a question. Sometimes ignorance is not bliss in the risk management world. I think a lot of times people try to ask less questions because they know that if they find something that's concerning, that they have to react to it. Regulators are all over this today. It's not one time in nature. If you don't have a program and you don't have resources, it's not a bad place to start. We always say year one is generally aggregating data, finding out, setting a benchmark, a baseline, if you may. But reacting and really thinking about what are the minimum protocols that you and your company is willing to accept? And making some tough decisions if a vendor doesn't have a certain security policy or program in place. One of the biggest things that terrified us, and it was very relevant in the education industry, we actually saw a lot of lot of vendors that were using production data in test environments. Right. We saw a lot of vendors actually lose business because they were not willing to change their methodology. And these vendors were taking public PII and putting it into a very unknown environment that wasn't encrypted right. and was fully accessible from all their employees. So now you got to react. You got to get the information, understand what's your minimum threshold at a company that you're willing to work with somebody. So I'm a firm. I tabulate a list of all my vendors. I send out a questionnaire to all of these vendors. Now, do these questionnaires have to meet a certain standard? Are there libraries that I can leverage or uh, can I build my own? Yeah, you can do all the above. I mean, there there is a lot of content out there. Companies like Shared Assessments, they've built a whole business around third-party risk management questionnaires. So they have a questionnaire, question bank of about 1,500 questions that are available across 18 different categories of risk. Cloud Security Alliance has something called the Cake that's available. Right. NIST is coming out with frameworks on a very regular basis. My suggestion is don't recreate the wheel. If you create your own questionnaire, you are likely going to face resistance from your vendor community. I always pick on a law firm. A law firm has 500 clients. So 500 clients each send them their own proprietary questionnaire. Trust me, they're going to build that back to you some way, somehow. Yeah. So yeah, it makes, That's a great point. 
try to keep it standard, modify the standard framework. We believe in that. We believe that there's a fine line between customization and standardization. Customize the standard frameworks. Makes sense. So the firm sends out a questionnaire, picks out a template from shared assessments or any sort of library. They may be able to add more questions on top of what's already there, but don't modify an existing framework is your suggestion. You send that out. Now, you raise an interesting point. I'm a vendor. I have 50 clients and I get 50 different surveys coming my way. Is there a way for me to sort of solve that problem in terms of the way I respond? So this issue is not just for the vendor responding. It's also for the other side that's actually vetting the vendor, right? It's both sides that matter. Yeah, yeah it's both sides. So if you're the vendor on the vendor side, really document and have a record of how you've answered questions historically. I think one of the biggest challenges that we see is inconsistency across multiple different clients. So I mean, we have five clients that have assessed the same vendor and Oddly enough, we see different answers to the same question. What we've tried to do is build in tools that we're able to catalog answers across different questionnaires, try to make it easier for the vendor. So if they've answered, do you have a third-party penetration test for another client on Priva? We can use that answer down the road and pre-populate. What's the right nomenclature? Is it vendor, vendee, or client, vendor? What do you call the firm that's sending out the survey, and what do you call the firm getting the survey? Uh, Client, I guess... Yes. Client is the person with the leverage, the person that is paying the bill. Gotcha. Because at the end of the day, we always, we joke, it's uh, you're in a position of leverage. The vendor needs you a lot more than you need the vendor. There's always another one down the road. So, but be cognizant at the end of the day, I actually dislike the word vendor, right? It's really a partner. You're in this together. They're trying to provide a product and a solution that's going to make your life easier. And if they don't, then you're going to switch. And so building a good relationship with them is critical. Even in security, nobody's perfect. Everybody has gaps. Everybody doesn't have unlimited budgets, right? And so- Vulnerabilities. Don't use a security assessment questionnaire or survey as, as a reason to stop working with a vendor. Use it as a way to aggregate information and figure out how to meet in the middle and basically achieve your goal. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people do wrong. They send it out and say, well, if they don't have X, we're not using them. Like That's a horrible mentality. And you as a client who's sending this out, somebody else is buying your product. So you want to feel the same way. Yeah, you might end up being a vendor for somebody else. So Every company is a vendor. Every company is a vendor. I, I can't think of a yeah. Every company is a vendor. So Interesting. There's a certain virality with this, right? Because you've got, you as a client are sending out vendor due diligence requests to your vendors. Vendors are responding. The vendors are using the same platform to respond to other clients. And those clients may or may not be using a tool like this. And so this gives them an opportunity to want to do something similar. You as the vendor or partner look super organized because you've got a bank of questions that are able to sort of respond to various things. There's a sense of virality with this, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah. The network effect truly does kick in. And we do see that where the vendor, the receiver of a questionnaire, one of the questions is, do you have a third-party risk management program? And if they say no, then that obviously then triggers and says, okay, we need to get our act together as well, because obviously they're sharing the data downstream. So you know, the, the kind of concept of nth-party risk data is going from one party to the vendor, to the vendor, to the vendor. And at the end of the day, the buck ultimately stops with AWS and Azure uh, for the most part. So, you know, if those two have a problem, we got bigger issues in the world. So that's an interesting dynamic, right? So if I'm a client 
and I'm sending vendor due diligence surveys to a vendor and the vendor has five other vendor relationships that they manage, does the client see the downstream vendors and are they able to have any visibility or any sort of control or policy over what happens to a fourth party and fifth party risk? Yes and no. It is probably one of the biggest challenges in the world right now in our industry. You know, we do ask the question, do you have a third party risk management program in place? If so, can you provide evidence verifying that there's a policy? We are seeing more and more companies ask what vendors have access to our data. So third and then the, ultimately the fourth party. We've seen companies actually assess those fourth party vendors before. Definitely a delicate balance because at the end of the day, that vendor of a vendor doesn't care who you are and doesn't have an obligation. Right. There's no contractual obligation to fill it out. So your fourth party risk is definitely one of the bigger problems that the industry is facing and trying to figure out how to solve. And so we use tools and we recommend to our clients ask the question, what vendors have access to our data? And then use tools like Risk Recon, the continuous monitoring solutions like Risk Recon or BitSight or Security Scorecard. Use those tools that are scanning their environments already. So we have an element in a data point. And if we see that they're failing or there's some anomaly there, then at least we can now use that as a method to communicate our, our concerns. Yeah, makes sense. So here's another question, right? And this is something that has always been on my mind is why use a platform like this when I could have a DIY type environment? Running surveys, whether you're doing customer surveys or you're doing any sort of third-party surveys, right, just general product surveys, you could use like a SurveyMonkey, you could use another tool out there. There's a ton of free tools. You talked about templates that are publicly available that I can download. Mm -hmm. Why not I just do that? Just go plug in a bunch of these templates, put them in my SurveyMonkey, and then shoot them out to my vendor and the vendor responds. What, what's the big deal here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's one is security on our side. Obviously, we vendors are putting very sensitive data in the platform. So you need to know that that information is going to be secure. I think that's one of the biggest challenges. SurveyMonkey is a great tool. I love it. I use it for many different aspects. They've never really done a great job of sort of the commercial aspect of it, turning it into a commercial product. Second is then really being able to fine tune and adapt it to your environment, creating reporting structures and remediation and sort of, we have a built-in ticketing system. Think of it as like a risk register, right? So mm. we send this questionnaire out to 250 vendors. All of a sudden, each of them has five to 25 different items that are identified as a risk. Being able to then classify those from a level of severity, severity being determined, well, does this vendor have access to my client's information, our employees' information, and then being able to document that and tracking their remediation. How are they resolving it? Have we accepted the risk? And then being able to then communicate that to other stakeholders. The world and risk of risk and compliance has so many more eyes and ears on it today that it's causing somewhat of a challenge. We just worked with a very large PE fund and they have a 10-person risk committee that now has to accept every identified risk that's above a higher critical finding. And so now having that transparency and having that central repository for not just the survey answers, but the results, the artifacts, the documents, the, the certifications that the vendors are providing. Makes sense. 
Makes sense. So your system is much more tailored to the use cases here of vendor due diligence. Correct. And, and so you've accommodated a lot of the workflows. So raising issues, yeah. remediation, whatnot. Uh, interesting. Uh, super interesting. So here's a question as well that we get quite a bit of, right? There's a lot of firms that have this concept of an exchange. Mm -hmm. So I'm an organization. I subscribe to this service. And they give me access to all of the vendors that they've already vetted. They've already done their due diligence on. Salesforce, Box, Google, Microsoft. These are all companies that pretty much everybody uses. So is there a benefit in an exchange model over doing sort of these independent surveys each time? Because you don't want to repeat the process multiple times. What are the trade-offs? No, the exchanges are good, and, and we have clients that use an exchange for the brands that you mentioned, the sort of like the too big, the small guy can't send an assessment to Amazon or Microsoft and get an answer, right? So somebody that can. So they provide a lot of value. They are trying to standardize that process. Sometimes in our experience, the data is stale that it's not being refreshed on a regular basis. So if you need to do an assessment of a vendor and it's November, you go in an exchange and you see the data that they have in their system is from January or February. You know, mm -hmm. in, t in today's world, technology is changing pretty rapidly and things could change fairly significantly. The date of a pen test could have got updated because that's being done on an annual basis. So those are some of the challenges with the exchange model. So our model's just always been the right question to the right vendor at the right time. Interesting. If my client, if I have 20 clients and they need to assess ADP, they do it on their timeline and their schedule as opposed to what's been gone, what's been put into the exchange. So I think they both complement each other. So this would be similar to if I were to go to AWS and say, hey, give me your SOC reports. Well, they'll give me my SOC reports in March right. every year. Right. And so that's when they'll do their renewal of their SOC report. But I think they now do it every six months. But the point is that it's on a preset schedule. And if I need something in the middle, yeah, no luck. No I'm luck. waiting for the next cycle for them to generate. Yeah, That's a valid point. So your process is more continuous. More continuous. And then it's any time. It's also the one of the challenges of the exchange is the lack of flexibility. You're buying into their methodology their questionnaire and their concept and definitely works for some people. And like I said, we have a client that the top 10% of their vendors, like the sort of most critical, they use CyberGRX. And they said, okay, well, we're going to use CyberGRX for these top 10 for the, the, the rest of our sort of Got scalable, it. true vendor ecosystem. Gotcha. So is it your contention, Ishan, that every organization, independent of whether they're regulated or not, should have a vendor risk management program? Yes. Yes, uh, without a doubt. And so it's not just those organizations that are regulated by the SEC or the FINRAs or the HIPAAs, or you, know, you talked a little bit about law firms. Is this a problem that's pervasive across industry? It is. I mean, if, even if you go to manufacturing. Manufacturing is not a regulated industry, but they are producing widgets and there's some level of IP associated with making that widget. And that information is being sent to attorneys, to manufacturers, et cetera. So no industry is truly immune to 
the risks of a supply chain. Got it. Look, and we're focusing on cyber for the most part here, but there's so many other elements of supply chain risks that can be accounted for. It's anti-bribery, anti-corruption, sort of FCPA assessments, privacy, brand and reputational financial risk. So I think it's all encompassing, but cyber obviously is the one that's driving the headlines today. Makes sense. Let's shift gears a little bit, Ishan. So I'm a big fan of, you know, for personal reasons, as you know, of how organizations get formed, because I feel like the soul of the business is very important to understand because it kind of gives you some context around the why Uh and how they got started. Talk to us a little bit about how Priva got started and how did you just wake up one day and say, geez, supply chain risk is like the biggest problem in the world. I got to do something about it. Like, what was your story? Well, this is one of my favorite stories. I was actually a vendor selling in a company I started before, and I was selling to a hospital. That hospital, I was not going to access any patient data, no employee information. All we were doing was connecting a TV and a piece of device to their Wi-Fi network. And so we actually had to go through and we were assessed by this health system. It started off as a Word document, then they sent us a PDF, and then we had a phone call. And that was their methodology. And the light sort of went off in my head. I said, I am probably the most insignificant vendor that this hospital has. And if this is their process with their EMR systems, then there's something broken here. And so that's uh, that was actually that's how great. we uh, we kind of came up with a concept. And did they sign up as a client? They did not sign up as a client. They did something even better, which is they created the problem, which allowed they you created to get... the problem exactly. That's great. That's great. So Ishan, talk to us a little bit about your personal journey outside of supply chain risk and everything else. What do you enjoy doing? What are some of your hobbies besides surfing the dark web and looking for uh, for the next big vulnerability to go build a company around? What do you do for fun? I think most people will tell you I don't have any hobbies because this has been my hobby for five and a half years. So I love sports. I love kind of tracking the uh, the Ravens, Michigan State Spartans. Not exactly the best week for us, but that's a different story. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of my passions. I enjoy golfing. I'm excited to, now that the company's been acquired, hopefully I can get around the golf in one of these days and sitting at a pool or at a, on a beach sometime soon. So those are the things I'm super excited about for my next couple of years. No, that's great. Talk to us a little bit about the excitement and what, what's in store for you going forward. Yeah, look, I think... Um, I started the company about five and a half years ago. We built a great team, a great product. We've been working with Intreta for a couple of years, and I think we just complement each other well. So I think that we're really excited about bringing this uh, Priva to the Intreta brand and the Intreta clientele. Um, I think we both see a vision in terms of the markets that we want to go after. And I think we want to just take it to the next level. I think there's a lot of opportunities. You were talking about the exchanges, right? There is an element of that that we want to bring to the market on top of Priva. So kind of combining the exchange with the flexibility, being able to then go after the wealth management and really help the wealth management industry in terms of solving this problem. The regulators are all over wealth and RIAs and broker dealers, and we work with a lot of hedge funds and just kind of growing the team, integrating the teams and kind of building the business with you guys. All right. Thank you, Ishan. This was fun. I look forward to having you on a future episode so we can check back with you on 
the stuff that you're working on, the latest and greatest. But I, uh, I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Sid. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, love to get back in a year. There'll be a lot of changes between now and then. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unencrypted Truth. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. To learn more about how Entrada can provide comprehensive cybersecurity software to protect your client data, visit entrada.com forward slash podcast. And please be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to your audio content. We'll be back with even more truths to unencrypt on our next episode.